We are in week three of our Conquerors series. I hope that you've been enjoying what uh, I feel like the God has laid on my heart. I've been enjoying sharing it with you. But we're in week three of, of this series. And our, our kind of main text that we've been using as kind of our, our overarching text for the entire series is Romans 8, 37, which says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us or that, through him who loved us. And basically, we've been talking about how, how God has given us the ability to conquer some of these things that we deal with in our lives. And so we've been talking about different spirits of things that we've needed to conquer, both, I feel like, as individuals and also as a church. And this morning, we're going to be talking about conquering the spirit of what I like to call, or what I'm calling this morning, non-investment. The spirit of non-investment. So we're going to be in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, starting with verse number 14 this morning. And uh, we're going to use that kind of as our text. We're going to look at this story that most of us know uh, and look at kind of what Jesus has to say about this and how important this is, not only, again, for our church, but uh, for our personal lives as well. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, I need you. Father, there's so much that I believe that you want to share this morning about this topic. This topic that, that I believe is so important, and I feel like we're going to see how important you feel it is in a moment. But God, I pray that you would just help me to communicate in the way that, that, is, that is clear, that is understandable. That, and Father, but, but more than that, I pray that your spirit would use the words that, that, that you've put in my mouth to change us, to make us more like you. Father, we need that. We desire that. So we come to you again and we ask that you help us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this portion of scripture, Matthew 25, starting with verse number 14, we basically see a story of what a lot of times in your Bible, as you look at the subheadings and things like that, it calls it the parable of the talents or something like that. Um, and, and basically, uh, talents, well, we'll talk about that in a second, is, is, is kind of this situation that Jesus is wanting to express to us an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, But before we really get into the parable, and this is a part of it, of course, I want to start by understanding the master. Okay, And that's in your notes. It's the first point that we're going to be looking at. But I want to understand the master because sometimes I think we run to the part that is only kind of about us. Okay, And we'll see why it's about us in a second. But first, I want to start here because I think there's something here that we need to understand because it'll help us understand the rest of the parable. So we're going to first look at understanding the master. In Matthew 25, starting with verse number 14 and 15, it says this, okay? Jesus is starting the parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportional to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Okay, so let's stop here because for, depending on the Bible you have, the translation you have, you'll see this word talents here. We need to understand what that is so we understand a little bit more about the master. The talents was not a sum of money. It was a weight of money. It was a weight that was given. In time, some of the things I looked at this week, kind of studying and trying to figure out what a talent was, uh, it's not necessarily a, an ability that we look at. Now, of course, we've taken that and we've kind of used it to kind of represent our time, our talents, or our treasures, and things like that. But here in the story, what this is really about is talking about a weight. 
Okay? Now, this weight is basically something that we found out, and I could go into the details, and if you want to, I can kind of go into it. But basically, to make it short and sweet, basically what they felt like a talent was, one talent was equal to 20 years of a laborer's wage. Okay? So whatever you make, okay, this will help you, whatever you make in a year, okay, times it times 20, and that was what one talent was. Okay, so this is a large sum of money. Depending on your translation, this one is is the New Living Translation. It talks about bags of silver. I think in the NIV it talks about bags of gold. Basically what we're trying to get you to understand, or what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, is that Jesus is entrusting us, entrusting his servants with a very large sum of money. Okay, this isn't small, this isn't insignificant, this is a lot of money. He has come to his servants and he said, listen, I'm going to do this. Now, now to us, in our world, this is kind of like, well, this, this is, is this normal? Actually, this kind of was. To the people that heard this story when Jesus told it, this was something that the masters would sometimes do. They didn't have the stock market and they didn't have those types of things. And so a lot of these guys would entrust their servants with this money. But here's the thing we need to understand. They would only entrust those that they really trusted with it, okay? They would only go to those servants that they believed had the ability to accomplish the mission that the the master gives them. What's the mission? The mission, as we'll see later on, is the ability to take what they've been given, invest it, and bring forth more than what was originally given to them. But what we love to see here and what we need to understand here is what Jesus says in the parable. He says that he calls his servants together and he entrusts them with his money. He's entrusted them with what is valuable. He has given them, and not just a little bit, he's given them a lot of it. And said, basically, here you go, I'm entrusting you with this. Now, here's what's interesting. We've talked about this before. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Why? Because to us, as human beings, money is valuable. And so in this story, he uses money to help us understand the importance and the beautiful amount of of lavish generosity that basically our master has given us. He's come to us and said, here you go. I got something great for you. I got something awesome. And here's what we need to understand about that. God trusts us with this. Okay, God didn't need you and doesn't need me. You realize that, right? As wonderful as we think we are, God doesn't sit there and go, really, I can't accomplish my mission. I can't accomplish the goal that I have, which is wishing that none should perish and that all would come to repentance. I can't do it without Aaron. No, God can do it plenty well without me. God can do it much, much better than I can. But instead of doing it on his own, he's entrusted his servants with a very precious, very special, very important thing. And so Jesus comes to us and says basically this. Think of it this way. Jesus comes to you and says, listen, there is nothing better than what I have. And I have given it to you. Now go invest it and make a difference in the world you find yourself in. I think it's interesting here that we see that he divides it up in an interesting way. He gives a certain amount to somebody and a certain amount to another and a certain amount to one thing. But here's the thing we have to understand. To everyone he entrusts, he gives something. 
He gives something. You know, it's one of those things people come to me. Oh, I I can't do anything for Jesus. I I can't invest anything for Jesus because I don't... No, no, no. I don't have anything. No, no, no. You have something. And here's what's great about this. He doesn't divide it out willy-nilly. He doesn't just say, ah, five here, four here, three here, one here. Woo! He doesn't work like that. He gives us what we can handle with his help. Okay? So we know that we can accomplish the mission that he's given us no matter how big or how small it is because he knows what we can handle with his help. So the master is good. The master loves us. The master entrusts us. The master, listen, believes in us and believes that we can do this. He believes that we can do this. And we have to remember that. Because sometimes we get into this situation, we get into this story, and, and we forget who the master is and how the master has entrusted us with something so important. Look at 1 Timothy 12, 1, 12 through 13. Paul understood this. Paul got this. And this is what he says. He says, I thank Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a prosecutor and a violent aggressor. No matter what your past is, no matter where you've been, when you are entrusted by God, that is an honor. That is an amazing moment. That is something that we can look at and know that God has called us to be a part of what he wants to do and how he wants to affect our world. So let's move on. How does the servants manage their master's possessions? What do they do? Now that they've been entrusted, now that they've been given this amazing gift, how do they handle it? So let's look at Matthew 25, starting with verse 16. It says this. It says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So here we have an interesting situation. Here is Jesus is telling us the story. We have the one individual who's gotten five and he immediately goes out and he begins to invest and begins to let that money work for him and begin to do something and he gets five more bags of silver. The second does the same. They immediately start going to work, investing, working, doing the job that, that their masters called them to do. But the third servant takes it He goes to work too, but he goes to work in a different way. He digs a hole, puts it in the ground, covers it up, and walks away. He digs a hole, puts it in the ground, and walks away. It's interesting to me that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about stuff like this and investing and working is is we see... This idea, or I remember thinking about this idea of thinking, wow, the first two servants really go to work and the third servant doesn't do anything. That's not true. The third servant does some work too. But he digs a hole and puts it in. You see what's interesting about this is is there isn't really, in, in God's economy, there isn't really a stationary position. You know what we like to think about that? 
He's like, we like to think in our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth that we can be stationary. And I don't believe that's the case. I believe we're either growing and becoming more and more like Jesus or we're dying and becoming more and more like the flesh man or ourselves that we're trying to to get away from. Scripture is very clear that that there is a war kind of going on between us, between basically the, the ways of God and the ways of man. There isn't a very stationary way. And the first two servants begin to work and begin to do and begin to invest in the things of God and in the plurk of God and in the plan of God. And the other one begins to work too. But he's working in the negative sense. He's working and he's digging. He's digging a hole. And he's putting things in there. He's covering it up. I don't know if any of you have dug a hole before, but that's not usually a real easy job. So we're working one way or another. We're a part of this. But what we need to understand is when God has called us to something and God has given us the ability and the tools to do it, he will always, always cause it to grow. He will always cause it to be used by him. Because that's the way God is. That's the way God works. And we need to understand that when we invest into people and the work plans and things of God, there will always be a huge return on our investment. Not because you do it perfect. Not because you do it right. Not because you're always in say the right things or do the right thing. It's because God is working with you and God is helping you as you invest these things. And God is going to bring forth an increase. Paul wrote about this. He said, some water, some plant, but God brings the increase. Okay? God does these things. Our job is to invest and to work at it. Listen, what's interesting here is even though God could plant, God could water, and God could bring the increase, God uses his servants to invest themselves in those activities. We have to invest in planting that seed. We have to make sure that it's planted correctly and it's covered. We have to make sure the ground is good and the soil is good. Then we water and we we keep it in the sun and we do all these things. But then you know what? It's out of our hands. As much as we would love to do that. Listen, um, my, my wife loves, and I do too, we love fresh, homegrown, ripe tomatoes. Oh, those are delicious. Yes. Now, here's the problem with that. Neither one of us are very good at growing said homegrown tomatoes. We try, and and it's like if we get like four, we have succeeded. Okay? And, And we're not, you know, I know like Linda and Alan, I think they were doing like from seeds, you know, and they were trying to grow all the, I mean, we're, we're going to Home Depot. And we're getting the plant that's already, you know, at least halfway there, you know, where there's actually already tomatoes on it kind of a thing. Okay, But no matter how much we do, our job, put it in the sun, water it, tend it, do all those things. But we, as much as we wish, we can't stand out there and go, grow, grow big, wonderful, delicious red tomatoes. It just doesn't work. God does that. We do our job and God does his. And when we do our job, God Blesses it. And God does an amazing thing. But listen, we're working. One way or another, we're working. Next. The first, and this is kind of, we're kind of, now, now we're going to kind of bring the story to a close. Or Jesus is going to. And this is what we're going to talk about. The first and second servant give an account and are judged. Okay? Look at Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, 19, it says this. So, after a long time, their master returned from a trip. And called them to give an account of how they had used his money. 
The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came, silver came forward and, uh, with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful at handling this small amount. Now, that's interesting to me. I want to stop here for a second. Listen to what God has communicated to you and I. This small amount, and I am bad at math, so if I do this wrong, please forgive me, but I think I can handle simple multiplication. But I think five bags of silver, if each bag was equal to 20 years of a laborer's work, this is a hundred years worth of labor, right? Good. Okay. Thank you for the head shake. Thank you. I'm not totally bad at this. Okay. So a hundred years. Listen, he calls that a small amount. Do you understand what God wants to do in us and through us? Do you get this? This is big. Jesus calls that nothing in a lot of ways compared to what he wants to do in us and through us. So he calls it a small amount. He says, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Let's continue on in verse number 22. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you've given me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this, again, small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. What's interesting to me is that word, good and faithful servant. Ever, ever since I was a little kid, I remember talking to people. And I remember being in the church growing up. And I remember people saying these things. And I don't know if it, if it necessarily in their world came from, from strictly here. I don't know if there was an old song. I'm not sure. But I would hear people say, I remember my grandparents saying, Oh, I just want to hear Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You ever heard that before? This is a big deal. Okay. This is a big deal. Now notice here that that Jesus says the exact same thing to the one who basically produces at the end an extra five bags to the same one that he says to the one that produces two bags. You realize that sometimes this is the way man thinks and God and man don't think alike very often. Where we think, oh, what's more valuable? What's more valuable is the guy that got five. Jesus says the exact same thing to both. Jesus is not necessarily interested in looking and going, how much can you make? He's interested in looking at you and being able to call you a good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, my smart servant. He didn't say, well done, hey, the the guy that did five. Hey, man, you're awesome. You're better than the guy that did two. He says the exact same thing to both. Because they both were good and faithful. But they both understood there was going to be a day where the master was going to come back. The master was going to come back and they were going to have to give an account of what they had done with what God had given to them. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Not only does the master say, let's celebrate, but in other translations we see things like, enter into the joy of of the Lord or into the joy of my master. And a lot of times as we look at these, what we're seeing here is Jesus giving us a very interesting idea of, of heaven. He's giving us a very interesting concept of, of eternity here. Why is it that people say, hey, that's what I want to hear, my good and faithful servant? Where are they when they want to hear that? They, want, they, they basically, a lot of times they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm gone. I'm in heaven. I'm, I'm standing before God. I'm giving an account 
of my life. I'm giving an account of the things I was given and entrusted with and what I did with them. So Jesus here is not looking at this and going, hey, hey, this is, a, this is optional. Hey, this is, uh, this is, if you want it, that's great. This is a command that Jesus is giving us. And we're going to see in a minute, as we've seen here, the importance of this. They are entering in to the joy of their master. They're entering in. They're celebrating with him. This is important. But they understood that. They, they worked and they gave. And the master was pleased with them. Because they gave, when they gave an account, they had been investing into people. They had been investing into uh, the church. They had been investing in with prayer. They had been investing into other things. They had been using the gifts that their master had given them. And because of that, the master blessed that and amazing things took place. But unfortunately, we have to look at the third servant. And so our last point is the third servant gives an account and is judged. So let's look at Matthew 25, 24 through 30. It says this. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master. Now, this is interesting, okay? And I I wrestled with this a lot this week, trying to to get my head around this. So we're going to read a portion of this, and then we're going to stop and we're going to look at it, because I think there's some things here that we need to, to, to focus on. Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Okay. Now, there's some interesting things about this. As I was studying this this week and kind of trying to look into this, I'm, I'm trying to get my head into the mindset of the third servant. Trying to figure out, like, what is this guy thinking? What is going through his mind here? And, and a lot of things I looked at and read kind of agreed with some of the things that I was thinking. It's like this guy walks up like he's done nothing wrong. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, yeah, you gave me the bag of silver. Yeah, I, there it is. There you go. I, I, I gave it back. See? Look, look, look. I didn't lose it. I didn't lose it. And what's interesting here is we see this concept of fear. He says, I was afraid I would lose your money. Now, why is he afraid that that's going to happen? He gives this excuse, and this is where I was over the week, and even as, as I looked at this in years before, where I got a little confused. It's like, he says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now, wait a minute. He's speaking to somebody that he doesn't even know in a lot of ways. Now, what does that harsh man mean? When, when we see that in the original Greek, what, what does that, as that was translated, what does that really mean? And here's basically what it means. It's defined as being very ungenerous, taking all for himself, and basically offering nothing for his servants. When he says you're a harsh man, that's what he's calling his master. The master who entrusted him, even though it was less, because he knew his servant and knew what his servant could handle, he still got 20 years worth of labor given to him. And he calls the master, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You're a harsh man. Now that's interesting to me. That, to me, shows something very interesting. I don't believe the servant knew the master's heart at all. 
And then it goes on. Because now we begin to see something more. The fact that more that the, the, the servant didn't understand his master's heart. But now we begin to see something very ugly in the heart of the third servant. So let's continue on with verse number 26. It says, but the master replied. Okay, now remember, to the first two, good and faithful. But to this one, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, once again, we have to talk about this because this is where it gets a little confusing. But if we understand a little bit more, it'll get it, hopefully, for us to understand it. It says, if you knew I harvest crops I didn't plant and gather, and gather props, crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I have, could have gotten some interest on it. Now, what does this mean? Why would he say this? What I believe and what I found in, in, in some of the study that I was doing this week, it's almost like the master here is calling him out on his lie. Okay? Because here's the thing. Think about it. If this man is so harsh, if the master is so mean and so horrible, the master would have been even angrier if he really believed that about the master. It would have made sense for him at least to put it into the bank and get some interest on it. Why? Because it would have shown that he was afraid of the master. It would have shown that he understood that the master was wanting something more than what he was given. So the master is basically saying, you, if you really felt that way, you should have at least done this. The master basically is looking to the servant and saying, you're giving me an excuse and that excuse isn't good enough. You see, here's what's interesting. The, the servant, as much as he would like you to believe, isn't really afraid of the master. Isn't really believing that the master is so harsh. What is the servant really afraid of? I think the servant, more than anything, is just afraid to invest in what God has called him to invest in. Now, that could be fear of, well, it won't work out, or, or, or rejection, or I'm not good enough, or, or whatever. It, it could be a lot of things. I think in some ways here, it's almost like the servant kind of had this mindset. And this is so important to catch this. It's like he had this, the, the mindset that my master is so strong and so powerful, he doesn't need me to do anything. I can do so little, so it doesn't really matter. Why is that so dangerous? I'll tell you why. Because that is super spirituality wrapped around completely unbiblical thinking. Doesn't it sound good? Oh God, you're so powerful. Oh God, you're so strong. And I'm so weak. And I just can't do anything. So I'll just do nothing and bury my, my talents in the ground and my, my gifts in the ground and I won't invest and I won't do anything. And I, because oh, I'm just poor, weak little me. But look, here's your gold back. Here's your silver back. Aren't I spiritual? And Jesus basically says, nope. You're lazy and you're wicked. That's what he says. And look, you might not like that, but I didn't write the book. This is what Jesus says. You're lazy and you're wicked. And sometimes, you know what, if we're really honest, every single one of us does this. You know, if you're sitting there going, you know, well, that, well that, but, 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 but. Listen, what's interesting here is he gives a really good excuse and Jesus says, no, it's not enough. 
Excuses aren't enough. I've given you something to invest. I've given you all you need to invest. And I will do some amazing works in you. But you really don't even know who I am. He says, if you really believed that, you would have at least done this. If you really believed it. And so what we see in a lot of ways is the servant is who, he, who Jesus says he is. He's wicked and he's lazy. So let's continue on with verse number 28. Let's see what the consequence of this is. It says this, Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant from this servant, and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. To those who use well, this is important, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where have we heard that term weeping and gnashing of teeth before? We've talked about it. Where, where, where have we seen that, that concept of outer darkness? What, what is that communicating? Outer darkness is communicating a place where there is no light. We know who is the light, folks. This is not an option. This is not God looking and going, well, if you have the time. Well, if you can. But a lot of times we walk around and we don't invest the things that we have. There are people, listen, hear me. There are people in your life today, right now, that you can be investing in and sharing the gospel with and investing in their hearts and their lives. Right today, are you? Are you? Are we, as a church, doing that? Are are we investing in our community? Are we investing in this place? Are we doing the things that God has called us to do? Because this is serious. This is something that Jesus is very clear on. And it's something that all of us need to do a better job at. Okay? All of us can do better. All of us can invest more. Why can we do that? How can I say that? It's simple. Because God has given us so much. So much. And so we, because he entrusts us, because he loves us, because he has done these things in us and through us, we can have this opportunity to share the amazing good news of our master. The amazing things that God has done. Listen, I'll be honest with you. This is not an easy message to communicate because it's one of those messages that, that, that is, is, it's, it's, it kind of cuts deep. It kind of like, oh man, I... You know, I, oh, do I really do this? And this, and this is, we have to understand here, okay? Jesus loves those that he disciplines, okay? He, he wants us to be more apart and more involved and more invested in what he is doing, okay? Because a lot of times, listen, guys, we're really good, and let's just be honest, we're really good at investing in ourselves and what we want to do. And it is hard sometimes to invest. But when we understand 
who our master is, with the unbelievable gift that he's given us to share, with the unbelievable trust that he's given each and every one of us. Listen, Jesus believes in us. He believes in you. We can do this. We can be the servant one or servant two. We have that ability. You go, but Aaron, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't do that. Okay, great. Maybe you didn't get five bags of silver. Maybe you got four. Maybe you got two. Maybe you got one. The bags don't matter. What matters is that whatever God has given us, we invest and allow him to do an amazing work in it. Jesus is not so interested in basically how much money you can bring in or how much money you can give or how much time you can give. He's interested in the heart because really when you look at it, what's the difference between servant one, servant two, and servant three? It's the heart. Inside of them, they said, I know my master. I trust my master. And he trusts me. And so I'm going to go out. I'm going to go forth. And I'm going to invest in the things that will bring praise and honor and glory to my master. Where the other dug a hole, stuck it in the ground, and then walked up with spiritual pride and said, there you go. And the question is simple, who are we? And look, here's probably how this plays out for most of us. We're probably a little bit of both. I know I am. I know there's times where I invest and I do a good job and, and, and so on and so forth. And there are times where I just am selfish and I just don't want to do it anymore. And I want to focus on Aaron. And, and, and so I think... You know, we have that. I know that there are some people that, you know, weren't able to be here yesterday, and that's fine. But you know what? There were people here yesterday working on a, on a house that were investing in people. You go, well, why does that matter? Listen, because God takes small things that you think are insignificant, and God can make them amazing. Because that's what happens when we take our gifts and our talents and our treasures and we give them over to the master. We invest in him. We invest in his stuff. And then we take our hands off of it and watch him go crazy with it. Think about some of the most amazing ministries or amazing people you could ever think of. You realize that they did what they did not because of all, because they had so many bags of silver. It was because they took what they had. They invested it into God. They invested it into people. They invested it in the plans of God. And then they took their hands off of it and let God do the rest. Think of anybody. You go, oh, well, this guy, who's a great pastor, he was a great speaker. But you know what? He wasn't that great. Let's be honest. Wasn't that great? I've never met anybody who's come to know Jesus basically because the pastor was really, really eloquent. The pastor raises up Jesus, and Jesus draws all men to himself. Now, does God use that? Sure he does. Just like he can use somebody that walks up to somebody and says, here's a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. It's important we catch it. Now, if the worship team would come on up. Karen, can you come on up for me? We're going to close. A couple weeks ago, Karen felt the Lord was speaking to her and she shared that with me. And I really felt like it was important that we, because we, I, I knew where we were going to be going I'm going to steal this real quick, guys. 
And I really, excuse me, I really felt like it was important that the church heard this, but I also felt like the, it was important on the day. And so I asked her to, to, to hold on to it. She'd written it down. But I felt like today was the day that I, I felt like God was wanting her to share this. So I'm going to have her share this, and then we're going to move into a time of prayer. Folks, listen, God is calling us as a people. And here's what's great. We're not special in this. I mean, this is what God asks every believer to do. Every servant of his, he believes we can do this. But he is calling us to invest in his kingdom. He's calling us to use the giftings and the abilities and, and, and the things that he's given us to change our world. Is that scary? Yeah, it, it kind of is. But listen, our master believes in us. Our master knows that we can do this. We can have that confidence that our master says, here's what you need, now go. I love the story where Jesus goes to his disciples and he, he goes, now go out and, and, and heal the sick and, and cast out the demons and be amazing in my name. And they do it. Why? Because Jesus has given them the authority to do that. And he has given us that authority too. And we can, we can be bold with that. We can walk with a strength that comes from Jesus. We don't rely on our gifts or our talents. Those are just tools that Jesus has given us. We're able to do it because he brings the increase. We get to be a part of it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to pray. So at this point, just so everybody can focus, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And I got a quick question and then we'll pray together and then the worship team's going to come. But here's the question that I have. Which servant are you? And maybe more appropriately and more, more clearly, what servant are you the most? And we can even take one and two and put them together. Okay, because again, both of them get the same praise and the same well done. Which one are you most like? And here's how you can help with this. If you can't immediately tell me people that you are pouring your life into, you're probably a little bit more like three. If you can't tell me immediately how you're advancing the kingdom of God as an individual, you're probably in a little more than three. And here's the thing. We as a church need to consider these things too. 
We need to be honest and look at ourselves. How are we doing this? How are we investing in our community and in others? How am I, as your pastor, investing in you? All of these things, these aren't, these aren't God sitting there tapping his foot, looking sternly, saying, you've let me down. How could you? This is our God saying, I've called you to great, amazing things. You have an amazing destiny. You have everything you need. Now go in the boldness that I've given you and bring forth fruit. Multiply. So many times in scripture, we see Jesus say that. We see God say that. Be fruitful and multiply. Produce much fruit. Invest and see it grow. We can walk in confidence knowing that even if we don't see that fruit in this life, even if we don't see the investment return in this life, we know in the life to come, we will find out. We will stand before Jesus and give an account. And when we do, He'll say, hey, you remember, you remember that little thing you think didn't matter? Well, that changed everything for that person. And I want you to meet the individual who's here with you in, in eternity because you invested something so small. And I made it into something amazing and beautiful. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And Father, as individuals and as a church, we have to ask ourselves an honest question. Which servant are we? Are we really investing ourselves, our time, our money, our talents, all those things? Are we investing those things in your plan and in your things? Or are we hogging them for ourselves? Are we keeping them close? Are we digging a hole, burying it in the ground, covering it up and saying, okay, well, I've done my part. I've done my part. I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to do any. I, God, don't worry. You'll have your money at the end. Jesus, you called us. When we act that way, wicked and lazy. Because that is what we are when we act that way. Because you only speak truth. Sometimes it's a harsh truth. Sometimes it's a, it's a, church we, a truth we don't want to hear. But it is truth nonetheless. So, Father, right now, what we need and what we desire as a church and as individuals is for you to help us to once again begin to work, once again begin to invest, once again be open to the leading of the Spirit that is saying, I need you to be here. I need you to do this. I need you to invest in this person. I need you to be praying hard about this. I need you to intercede for this church. I need you to intercede for this community. However, Father, you desire for us to invest, depending on who we are and depending on how, how you've given those, those abilities, Father, we need to hear your voice and obey it. But Father, you believe in us. Father, we know with your help we can do it. So Father, change us from the inside out. Make us more like you as we invest in your work and your plan and your people and your kingdom. We love you and we thank you. Let's all stay.